Well, good morning, church. It is Pastor Aaron here. I'm glad that you are here, and I'm grateful that you decided to join us today from Bedside Baptist this morning. Uh, hopefully, you will not become a member there in the future, but I just want to let you know I, I cannot wait to see you guys in hopefully the near future and miss you guys like crazy, and I really do look forward to the time we get to come and be back together again. So uh, before we jump into it, I've got a few announcements for us I want to bring to your attention. First off is that this week is a very important week in the life of the Church Universal. It is Easter week. And so this upcoming Friday, on Good Friday, we're going to be having our Tenebrae service, and I hope and pray that all of you are able to join us for that. We're going to do it this Friday, 7 o'clock p.m., on our online uh, outlets that you're viewing through right now. But if you're not very familiar with the Tenebrae service, um, a Tenebrae service is a liturgical service of shadows where we do a lot of Bible readings and prayers, and we go through the different events that led up to the night of the cross. And so it's going to be a very sober reflection on the night of of Christ's death and crucifixion. I invite you to be a part of that. We're also going to be doing communion that night, and so the communion, as always right now, is going to be BYOB. Bring your own bread and, uh, and, and things of that you, and so you'll participate in that together as a family. And again, hope you guys are able to come and be a part of that. Also, we'll be doing Easter a couple days later. That'll be Sunday, April the 12th. Uh, we're going to be doing three services that day, 9 o'clock, 1045 in the morning, 2 o'clock p.m. Hope you can join in for that. Invite your neighbors if they don't have an online campus to worship through. Uh, tell them to tune in to DBC. We'd love for them to come in. We will also be doing a Saturday evening service for the very first time. And so if Sunday's not your thing, Saturday night's more your deal. Uh, 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, you can join us online and we'll be running through it the very first time that evening. So uh, again, hope that you're able to be a part of that. Last thing I want to draw your attention to is uh, the Benevolence Fund that I've been talking about for the past few weeks. If you've not had an opportunity to transition your giving to online giving, now would be a great, great time to do that. You can do it at dallasbible.org backslash give. There you can find our Benevolence Fund. And church, can I just tell you how grateful I am for your outpouring of generosity, especially this past week? Uh, we got a lot in the Benevolence Fund, which is really good because we're getting a lot of different requests right now from families that are in need. But again, if you're not familiar with the Benevolence Fund, um, all this is is an emergency fund for one-time, two-time, three-times assistance for people that have a genuine need in and around our church body. And so you do not have to be an actual member of DBC to, to benefit from the Benevolence Fund. You do need to be associated or connected in some way, either through one of our outreach ministries or as a, an attender here at DBC. But if you do have a legitimate financial need right now, as many of you guys do, uh, we want to be a church that comes around and supports you, that loves you in this time, uh, not just through prayer and, and physical support. Uh, we want to come around you and make sure that your bills are taken care of, that you're eating, that you have shelter to come home to every single night. And so please let us know what's going on. As always, you can do that at dallasbible.org backslash care. You can let us know what's going on and how you're being impacted um, by the pandemic uh, around the world today. Uh, you can always reach out to Brian Radabaugh at brian at dallasbible.org and let him know specific requests that you may have. But again, church, we are a church family, and we want to be a family that takes care of other family. We want to we let you know that you're loved and that you're not alone in this entire thing. So please let us know if that is you. So we're going to jump into God's Word this morning, and uh, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there with me, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be going through verses 10 through 18. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, good news is you are already home, and it will be very easy for you to find. You can follow along with me. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. 
Um, uh, if you did not have it, it'll be easy for you to follow along on the screen. But in case you're not very familiar with Paul's letter to the Ephesians, um, here's what you need to know about it. Essentially, it's broken down into two parts. The first three chapters are going to essentially be a lot of theology about, about all that God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The latter part of the letter is going to be application of that theology. And so as we get to chapter 6, Paul's going to be wrapping up this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's going to be doing it with a reminder that you and I are in a very real spiritual war right now, and that we have to be prepared for every single battle that comes our way. And so that's what he's getting into. And so pick it up with me here, starting in verse 10. Here's what he has to say. He says, finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to keep standing. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God, and then pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So church, I want to invite you to come and do exactly that with me right now. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we remember that you are the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You're the great I am. You're the one who spoke this world into existence. And Father, there's nothing that's taking place right now that captures you or takes you off guard. It's beyond your power, your authority, beyond your ability Beyond your compassion, Father, we remember you in this season. We just want to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you enter into the mess of today? And God, would you provide for us in the middle of this mess? Would you heal people that are infected by the disease? Would you redeem these events in the near future? And would you receive all praise, glory, and honor that you're due? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you today exactly what you want to share with us. Father, and I pray that you would make us a strong people a strong people that are able to withstand the attacks of the enemy and listen to you well and really thrive well today. God, we were reminded that the churches just never, ever, ever needed much to thrive. They just needed a steady dose of God's word, prayer, biblical fellowship, and the Lord's Supper to remind us of all that you've done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we come and say, come and feed us today, and would you build us and strengthen us through your word. We love you, God, and we give you our time. It's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat um, as you already are. But as I'm reading this passage earlier this week, I was reminded of very, very memorable Christmas of uh, 1992. I think I've told you a little bit about this Christmas uh, a couple years back, but it was a very memorable one for a number of different reasons. But this is the year my uncle Dave comes and uh, he's that uncle in pretty much every family. He comes and instead of giving real gifts and stuff, he gives experiences to the kids and to his own kids, and he brings people together, and it's a ton of fun. He's an incredible gift giver, but uh, this was one of those years, and so he comes and shows up for Christmas, and, and instead of giving gifts, he decides to give my brothers and sister and I uh, the experience of doing paintball with he and his family and all of my different cousins. Now, 
Like, that's exciting, except for the fact that I didn't know what paintball was. And so he's, I'm opening up this gift, and I'm going, okay, okay, I guess we're painting. I thought it was like an art exhibit or something like that. I didn't really know what we were doing. He tries to explain it to me a little bit, and I still didn't really understand. All we knew is that we, later on that day, we were supposed to go out to this field, and we were going to be playing paintball for the first time. And so that's what we did. I go and I get ready. And again, like, I don't know what to expect from this day. And so me and my 11-year-old little self, I go and put on little soccer shorts and I'm not kidding, I put on a white t-shirt to go and play paintball in. And so I show up that day, and, and my, my, my uncle and my cousins, they roll out of their van. And I'm not kidding you, every single one of them are decked head to toe in full-on camo. Like They're wearing like bulletproof vests going on. They've got like face masks and face shields, fully automatic paint rifles. I didn't even know that was a real thing. They had paint grenades. They had smoke bombs, the entire thing. Like They were dressed to kill. Like I had no idea what I was getting into that day. Uh, but uh, suffice to say, I got absolutely obliterated out there on the paintball field. The game starts, and I remember running around out there. And it, Of course, the entire thing is in the woods. It's not one of these indoor facilities or anything like that. We're out there in the woods. I'm running through the woods in soccer shorts and a T-shirt, like the, the thorns, the branches, everything's scraping up my legs. I'm bleeding left and right. Like They can see me like kind of Bambi in hunting season or something. Like they, They're just, I mean, I'm just a target like you wouldn't believe. I've got whelps all over my body. i got a busted open knuckle that's all swollen and bloodied and stuff like that. But the bottom is, church, like, like I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like I thought I was going to like play a little game that day, and the rest of my family was prepared for war. And church, the reason I share that is because it's exactly what Paul's saying to us here in this text. He's saying, church, don't be naive because there's a very real spiritual war taking place every single day, every single day and you're already a part of that war. Right? And for some of us, you hear this text and you read this and you're kind of going, yeah, like I already get that. I've been paying attention to the news. Like I know that we're in a war right now. I know that there's heavy things that are taking place. I saw the president get terrified online the other day. He doesn't really do that very often. Like, I, I know what's going on. I've seen the charts, and I, I'm very aware of what's taking place inside my soul right now. It's exactly why Paul's writing this section. And so he gets into this thing starting in verse 10, and his command is very much this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he continues, and he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's this reminder right now that our struggle right now is not primarily against COVID-19. Our struggle right now is not primarily against a struggling economy or the difficulty at home or how uncomfortable many of us are or the fears that are taking place. It's not primarily our struggle. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and it's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, church, like when there's hundreds of thousands of churches all around the world that are not getting together on a Sunday morning, you got to understand there's a lot more going on today than just the things that you're able to see. In other words, like when, when CPS is overwhelmed, Child Protective Services is overwhelmed because kids are having to stay home now instead of being protected when they're at school. Like you've got to understand there's a lot more going on in the world today than just the things that you're able to see. Like church, when, when depression is on the rise and believers are having a hard time rolling out of bed in the morning, you've got to understand like, there's a war that's taking place and that you and I have a very real enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God's doing inside of our soul. And so he comes in here and, uh, and he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he says, we have a very real enemy that's out there and it's not the things that you and I see. I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about this tension. He says, there's two extremes that a lot of Christians go to when it comes to the demonic and things like spiritual warfare. 
He says one extreme is that so many of us, we absolutely believe in the demonic. We believe in spiritual warfare and things like that. But the problem is we, see, we seem to see the devil in pretty much everything in every part of our life, right? And so um, we give him way too much power. We take very little responsibility for ourselves, and many of us live in fear all the time. So this is the person that's trying, driving on 635. They hit a little bit of traffic, and they're going, oh, my gosh, the devil's just trying to slow me down, right? And it, we're seeing the devil in everything. Or, or it's the person who had a bad dream, and they're going, oh, the devil's trying to attack me while I'm sleeping and that kind of thing. And it has nothing to do with the burrito that you ate last night for dinner or anything like that. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the people that keep walking in sinful decision after sinful decision after sinful decision saying, hey, the devil just made me do it. He has that much power. He has that much authority over my life, and I have no responsibility or authority uh, whatsoever. And so C.S. Lewis is saying, hey, that's one extreme that a lot of us go to. The other extreme is that many of us live like he's not even real at all, kind of like he's just a myth that we believe in or that we talk about to describe some of the evil, difficult, painful things that are taking place in the world today. And so many of us live like this is just this made-up story, and that the only things that are actually real are the things that we can see with our eyes and the things that we can control with my will. By the way, Lewis says, Satan is totally fine with disbelief. You want to know why he says that? He says it's because Satan's goal has never been recognition. It's always been your destruction. It's why Peter's going to say that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you've ever watched these National Geographic films, but lions don't hunt in the middle of the street. They don't walk out in the middle of a field. They prowl around in really, really tall grass seeking someone to devour. And it's exactly what, what he does right here. Like the enemy's not parading around there with pitchfork and horns and things like that. He masquerades as an angel of light. Paul's going to talk about it in 2 Corinthians 11. And then he waits for your guard to be down before he tries to trick you and deceive you and ultimately destroy you from the inside out. And so that's what Paul's talking about in this section uh, when he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's going to say, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, in verse 13, he's going to repeat this, and he's going to say, put on the full armor of God, not just shorts and a t-shirt, right? not just some of the armor, don't just pick and choose some of these things, put on the entire armor of God. Here's why. So when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything you can, you'll still be standing strong. In other words, church, like in the middle of this war that we're in, God has fully provided for you and me to keep standing strong. No matter what the enemy is doing, no matter the things that we're seeing, no matter the difficulties that are going on, God has fully provided this armor, this body armor for us to walk in so that you and I can thrive every single day. And so two different times, he simply says, put it on. Like it's not, it does you no good if you have these pieces of armor, but you choose not to put them on. So two different times he says, put them on, wake up in the morning, put these elements on, put these body pieces of armor on. And then what follows are going to be six different pieces of armor, or essentially another way to think about it is six different gospel applications, six different applications of God's word, which you and I know, which you and I know in God's word. And these are six different pieces that all work together to defeat the enemy and to keep you standing strong. And so I just want to talk about three of these on the front end. But uh, the first one that he talks about here is the belt of truth. And we see that in verse 14. He talks about the belt of truth, which is buckled firmly around your waist. Now, lucky for us, I was able to find a picture of the real belt of truth right here. You can see that in the picture, kind of what he's talking about there. But what Paul had in mind is, uh, is essentially this. The belt is the piece of the armor that goes around your waist and makes sure that everything else is in its place, right? And so when he's talking about putting on the belt of truth, 
He's talking about letting Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. He's talking about letting Jesus define the truth about who you really are, the core of who you really are. Like that's what he's saying right here. Don't let your identity be defined by anybody else. Don't let your identity be defined by the enemy who is subtly working through the words of your friends or the words of of people that you know at school or the words of an abusive parent or the words of people that you see on in Hollywood, or the number of likes that you get on social media, or probably even more relevant today, like don't let your identity be defined by a culture that says you are what you produce, right? Don't let your identity be defined by this culture that says you're valuable in as much as you're able to contribute something valuable, and I actually think that your contribution is valuable. Don't, don't let it be defined by people that say you're valuable, you're good, you're worthy in as much as your kids are awesome, they're doing wonderful, you're dominating the homeschool thing, you're, you're, you're perfectly balancing the homework, life schedule, and things of that nature. He's saying don't let your identity be defined by any of those things. I was reading this fascinating article this past week that was just talking about the rise of depression in America since the shutdown. And how so much of it is connected to our ability, our inability to feel as productive as we used to feel. And so you think about this and you're like, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? Like, I, I, which of us can sit here and say, you know what, I'm feeling more productive today than I was a month ago. None of us, right? Like maybe if you work for Clorox or Lysol or Purell or something like that, any of the paper companies or something like that, maybe you're feeling pretty awesome about your production level. But like which of us can say, you know what, I'm feeling fantastic about the things that I've been producing? None of us can. I mean, it's a famous Oprah quote from years ago when she said, like, I discovered recently that I don't feel like I'm really worth a darn, certainly not worthy of love unless I'm accomplishing something great. Church, what's she talking about right there? She's talking about the subtle belief that we are what we produce. You are valuable in as much as you contribute something valuable that other people deem is valuable. And here's the reality, church. It's not just, that adults, it's not just adults that are being hit at the, uh, during this time. It's students, too. And it's not just because they're in isolation, and it's not just because there's, they're bored and don't have a whole lot to do. Like, well, the things that I'm reading about is that many of them are being forced to remain in the dysfunction of a home that they've been trying to escape for a really, really long time. So there's that. There's also the reality that we are escaping to this online world, which is taking place through social media and everything else, and it is a comparison trap of a world where whatever it is you do is never really enough. But church, like, you've got to understand, that's how the enemy works. Like, he loves to make you question who you really are, and he's always going after your identity. I mean, it's exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 3, uh, when the Father just said of Jesus at his baptism, it's this beautiful scene before Jesus launches his ministry career, he's being baptized, and, and, and the, the triune God is all there together, and, and then from the heavenlies, the Father says, he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Like, that's who you are, period. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what do we see just a chapter later? I mean, a chapter later, Jesus is in, the, is in the wilderness. He's fasting and preparing for the season of ministry he's about to walk into right now. And the first thing we read is the enemy is there in his ear. And he's saying, hey, Jesus, if you really are the son of God, all you got to do is turn these stones into bread. Like that, that's what he's saying. A few verses later, it's the exact same thing. Hey, Jesus, if you really are who you say that you are, if you really are who the Father evidently said that you are, then all you got to do is throw yourself off this cliff and command that the angels are going to catch you. Like, church, that's what he does. He loves to make you question the things that God has said is absolutely true. He loves to put a question mark, as we said in the past, where God has put a period. 
I mean, that's exactly what he's doing. The father has just said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And boom, there's the enemy in his ear saying, is that really true? Really, you really the son of God? If you're really the son of God, then you'd be able to perform this miracle. Prove it, prove it. Like you're really beloved. You really think you're beloved right now? I mean, look at your bank account, bro. Like it's butchered. Where's your savings? I mean, where's your retirement? How are you providing for your family right now? Like you think you're the you think you're a man right now? Like your family's dissatisfied and they're so frustrated with what's going on. You lost your job and you're not making the income anymore. Like who in the world are you? You think you're valuable still? Like you think you're likable after your family won't even pay attention to you anymore? You think that you're lovable when everything at work and at home is a complete mess? And so Paul's going to come in and say, hey, church, you've got to stand firm with the belt of truth firmly latched around your waist. Like, don't let your identity be shaped by circumstances or the other people that are there in your life right now. Let it be defined by God and what he has said is true. And so here it is, church. Like, if Zephaniah is going to say that he delights in you and he rejoices over you with singing, then you better believe that you are more than enough and that you're absolutely loved. Church, like, like, if the Bible says you're his workmanship, and you've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, then like even if you've lost your job, and even if finances are an absolute mess, you had a reduction hours, you're the worst homeschool teacher in the world, like you can still know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your life has purpose that has been given to you by God, that he has prepared work for you to do long before you were ever born. Church, if it's really true that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knew you while you were still in your mother's womb, that you're his masterpiece, as Ephesians 2 says. You're a sweet and pleasing aroma to the world, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. If all those things are absolutely true, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, regardless of what's going on with your income or your bank account or your job status or any of those things, that the Father still looks at you with joy. Church, that's the truth about who you really are. And you better believe like the enemy's going to do whatever he can to make you forget the truth about who you really are. And if you and I are not wearing this belt of truth around us every single day, like he's going to have a field day with your life. And so the first thing that he says is that you've got to wake up, church. You've got to wake up. And you need to wake up and you do the first thing. You've got to put on that belt of truth. Remind yourself of what God has said is true about who you really are. You are beloved. You are righteous. You are all these things. You are his workmanship. He has purpose for you. You're not done with, he's not done with you. You've got to remember these things. He continues on, and the second thing he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. It's very, very similar to the belt of truth, but really instead of identity, he's specifically talking about being able to put on the truth about your righteousness. So even more so than identity, this is what's true about whether or not you're actually clean and things like that. And even more than that, um, being able to walk in that righteousness on a regular basis. Again, church, I just want us to think about how important this is right now. Like, I probably don't have to tell you that privacy and isolation isn't very helpful when it comes to sin and addiction. Like, many of you guys are experiencing that firsthand right now. The privacy, the isolation, the loneliness, the things that are taking place that no one else sees, no one else is around, it's not doing you any favors. And what's happening right now is there's all this failure spiritually taking place at home. And the enemy's coming in and he's whispering in your ear and he's saying, <laughs> I knew that about you. I knew you didn't really love Jesus. I knew that you weren't really a follower of him. Look at this. Look at this. And he's just whispering shame and condemnation, regardless of the fact that Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
And he's having a field day with, with, with a sense of righteousness that's going on because of the failures taking place through this isolation right now. Some of us, church, like that may not be your problem. It may not be isolation. Loneliness may be the thing that you're craving right now. For you, your problem may not be that. It may be the fact that your spouse and your kids and everyone in the world is home at the exact same time. And it's typically not how it goes. And you're dying for a little privacy. You're dying for a little peace and quiet. And what you're realizing now is that because everyone's there and you're home, you don't have a whole lot of patience. You don't have a whole lot of kindness or love or joy or peace or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control, all these fruits of the Holy Spirit that you thought were actually true. And you're realizing all these things aren't necessarily true and you're responding in so many different ways that have nothing to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Am I speaking to anybody right now? Anybody seeing that, that like that's your problem? And, and Paul's just going to say, church, today, you've got to come on, you've got to come in here, and you've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what I love about this image right here is that, uh, besides the fact that it reminds me of my youth, you can see the picture of it right here. Um, clearly, this is 18-year-old Aaron, not really at all. But um, what I love about this picture that you can see is that the whole thing's solid. I mean, you, you can see that about the breastplate, like the entire thing is solid. I mean, those are some incredible abs, right? Is that not what we all long for in our workouts? Like incredible abs. I mean, you got sculpted pecs and shoulders and the entire thing, which means that if I were to put on this breastplate of righteousness right here, like regardless of what's really taking place underneath this sweater, um, regardless of that, the only thing that you're going to be able to see are the perfect pecs and the perfect abs. And it's exactly the image that he wants us to understand right here. I love the way Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3. He's going to say, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, like there's no such thing as real self-righteousness. There's no one that's going to be declared righteous before the Son of God when they're trying to accomplish it in and of themselves. You're going to try. People try to be righteous in and of themselves. It's always, always, always going to fail because he's holy. You're not holy. There's an enormous gap between us and God. And so he says, uh, so he continues in verse 22, and he says this, Righteousness, then, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. So there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's the one common denominator between all of humanity. And we are all justified, meaning we've all been or we all will be declared righteous before a holy God freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In other words, church, like if you and I are in Jesus Christ, then the love handles of our sin, so to speak, have been replaced by the perfect abs of his righteousness. That's why Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians 6, he's going to say, such were some of you. Uh, you, you used to be defined by the addictions that you walked in, but now that you're in Jesus Christ, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been sanctified, meaning you've been set apart by God and declared holy, and you've been justified and declared righteous, not because you are righteous, not because you are self-righteous or anything like that, but simply because Christ is righteousness, and he has gifted you his righteousness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Church, that's who you really are. Like That's the truth about who you actually are. You are holy, and you are righteous, and you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And so to continue with this image that he's talking about right here, he's saying, first thing you've got to do is wake up every morning, and you've got to put on this breastplate of righteousness. And then beyond that, not just put it on, but you've got to be able to walk with this breastplate of righteousness on. Um, a few years back for Halloween, Caleb and I decided that we were going to dress up as Mr. T for Halloween. I've got a little picture over here. Uh, please don't share that around. I apologize so much. But I was teaching my son about the A-team, like every great 
um, father of the 80s. Uh, You've got to pass on the A-team to your kids. So we were going to dress up like B.A. Baracus. But I love Halloween time. Everybody's got those muscle shirts, kind of like we're wearing right here. You know, these things that you you put them on, they're skin tight, but it makes you look absolutely jacked, kind of like your Cameron Sparks or something like that, or Warren, right? But like that, that's the whole shirt. And so you put these things on, and and I love doing that. I put that outfit on, and what I noticed when I put it on is I started walking different when I put on that shirt. I started like strutting around, and I started like going to the mirror, and I'm like flexing and everything. And I'm acting like, I'm, I, I'm totally acting like I'm B.A. Baracus right there. And what I noticed about Caleb, he did the exact same thing. He puts on this little muscle shirt, and he's like over there posing, and he's flexing all the time, and he's li- trying to lift up heavy things and make it look like he's all awesome and everything like that. But the point of the matter is, church, like everything changed when I put on that shirt. Everything changed when I put on that shirt. I felt different about who I really was just because of the shirt that I was wearing. And the point of the matter, church, is this is exactly what Paul's saying in our text right here. Every single day, you've got to put on the shirt of his righteousness. You've got to clothe yourself with the breastplate of righteousness if you want to defeat the enemy and his power in your life. Like, you don't have to keep sinking lower and lower and lower into your shame. You can stand firm in the truth of who you are, confident that no matter what happened in the privacy of my own home, no matter how bad I blew it with my family or the things that were said over there, like that's not who I am. Those things don't define who I am. My criminal past, my record in the past, the things that I did in college, like those things don't define who I actually am because I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Church, like that's how you defeat the enemy. You wake up every single day and you clothe yourself and you put on the breastplate of righteousness and you remind yourself that you are now holy that you have been completely cleansed, and that you are now righteous because of the shed blood of the Lamb. You do that every single day, the enemy will have no power and authority in your life. You'll be able to wake up. You'll be able to repent of your sin. You'll be able to ask for God's forgiveness. You'll be able to go to people that you may have hurt and be reconciled with them. And by doing those things, the enemy will be defeated in your life. And so Paul comes and he says, put on the belt of truth. And not just that, but put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then he goes with one more, and I want to talk about this. When he talks about the shoes of the gospel of peace in verse 15, which, again, i got to admit, it sounds a little bit obscure right here, but essentially all he's saying is if you want to defeat the enemy, then you've got to be willing to go and engage the enemy. I mean, Paul's going to talk about this in Romans chapter 8. He's going to say that he has made us more than conquerors, which sounds awesome. I love being a conqueror, but here's the thing about conquerors, church. Like, conquerors only conquer if they're willing to engage the enemy. Like, it's the nature of being a conqueror. You have to engage the enemy, and it's exactly what he's talking about right here. Like, you want to see peace in your life with your family or in the community in which you live, then you've got to be willing to go with the gospel of peace. You've got to be willing to go and share the gospel of peace wherever it is that you are, which for a lot of us today, like, it means that we're not traveling very far to go and to share the gospel of peace. And for many of us, You don't really know what to do with that, but can I suggest that that may be exactly part of what God may be wanting to do in your life and in your family's life in the middle of this season. You know, like one of the complaints that I hear all the time is that families never really have enough time to eat together anymore. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk. There's always homework. There's always work to be done. There's always sports. There's always entertainment. There's practices to go to. There's extracurricular activities and things of that nature. Church, the reality is we don't have a whole lot of extra stuff going on right now. So the question I'm wondering is like, what are you doing to redeem this time? What are you doing to redeem this time? You may have prayed this prayer long ago, and I want to be very careful. I don't want to back off that one a little bit, but like, what are you doing to redeem this time? 
Paul's going to say, make sure, church, that your feet are ready to go with the gospel of peace wherever it is that you are, whether you're going far away overseas, whether you're going to a workplace, or whether you're staying at home more often than you have in the past. Are you ready to go with the gospel of peace? What are you doing to redeem this time at home? I love going online and seeing some of the creative ways that people are engaging with the gospel, and they're going with the gospel, sharing the gospel of peace at home during this time. I was talking with my friend Jeff Mousa, and he was telling me about what Leslie's doing with the four kiddos that are there at home all the time, but they're doing chapel services as a part of their now homeschool curriculum, as a part of their everyday routine. And so every morning, they're coming together as a family, and at some point, I think it's somewhere around 10 o'clock, they're gathering together and they're just opening up God's Word and they're reading something and they're talking about it, just having a, a chapel time together as a family, something that they never had the real opportunity to do previously. I mean, I'll tell you, this is one of the things that um, Kat started a schedule for our family too. And one of my routines is now coming in this past week, I've started coming in and just going through the book of John with Caleb. Uh, you think a very pastor thing to do, right? But we're just going up there and we're coming and we're just opening up his little kid's Bible and we're reading a small little section of it and I'm talking to him about what it means that Jesus is the bread of life that we feast on every single day. What it means that he has the power to feed 5,000 people at one time simply through the voice of his words. And we're just talking about these things and we're asking the things at church, like these are opportunities that I never had before. I've told you before, one of the, my favorite times as a, as a family growing up were uh, the family devotion times around the table. And I'll tell you this, when I was a kid, I did not appreciate this time together as a family at all. In fact, I complained, I whined about it, I hated it in the moment, but this is a normal part of our routine. For us, um, growing up, dinner time was sacred. It didn't matter what you were doing. You dropped what you were doing, you came to the table, we all ate together as a family. At the end of our dinner time, mom or dad would bring out the little kid's Bible that we had, and they would just have one of the kids read a small section of it. They would ask us a few questions. We'd talk about it, and then we'd pray, and we'd go on about our day. At church, I hated that when I was a kid, especially when I had friends over to, that were spending the night or something like I was embarrassed by it, and I thought it was just a ridiculous thing to do. But I've told you again before, like in our adult years, I've had those same friends come back, and they say, you remember when your parents did this? And they, like, those are the only times that I ever got into the Bible before I came to faith later on in my life. Like, I'm so grateful for those things. Church, it's, it's exactly what Paul's saying right here. It's what he's talking about when he says to ready your feet. Be ready to go with the gospel of peace wherever it is that he puts you today. You may not be going to an office, but you have a mission field right there in your home. You may not be getting on a plane and going overseas, but that mission field is whoever God has put in your, in your sphere right there in your home. You may not have kids in your home anymore, but you still may be married. And this may be the season that you come and you focus on that marriage and you focus on that partner and you go with the gospel of peace in an affirming way to the person that you committed to love for the rest of your life. And you may not be married, but maybe you have a roommate or maybe you have family members that you stay in connection with. Or maybe you have a small group that you still interact with through Zoom or something like that. Uh, this past Wednesday, I was up here, and there's a group that was coming and doing a drive through food pantry. They're here every single Wednesday serving our surrounding community. And now they're practicing social distancing. They're all wearing gloves and masks and the whole thing. And people are driving through outside, not interacting, picking up something right there. But they're coming. They're continuing to go with the gospel of peace in this environment that God has already given to them. And they're praying with people from a distance in the middle of this thing. Church, it's exactly what he's talking about right here. That's how the enemy gets defeated. Like you keep going and you bring the gospel of peace. So people in your home and the people that are in your community and the people that God has put all around you in your life, they also can experience his peace. Church, like you keep going to the needy. 
You keep going to the homeless. You keep going to your kids over and over and over again. You pass on the faith from one generation to the next. Church, you keep going and you keep bringing peace to the people who need to hear his peace. And, and, and here's the crazy part about what God does in the process. Like as you go with the gospel of peace, the enemy's defeated not only in their life, but he also gets defeated in your own as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but like as you go and engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the enemy is defeated, strongholds are loosened, and you are set free, and the enemy has no power in your life. I remember the first time that, uh, that I realized this as a kid. Um, actually, it was back in college. I was working at Pine Cove Christian Camp, and um, it was really the first time that I was really inundated with ministry ever in my life, but I was in college, and I spent the entire summer giving my life away. For the sake of these kids, and if you've ever worked at Pine Cove or been around that environment before, it's a Christian camping environment, and literally you have no time for yourself except to read your Bible and pray. You're not attached to any kind of technology or anything like that. You are in God's Word, you are in prayer, and you're fully giving of your life to all these kids around you in hope that they're going to understand the gospel in a brand new way. And I remember walking away at the end of that summer and being like, wow, all these things that I was holding on to and all this dirt, all these different things that the enemy had power in my life over, like I've been set free in so many different ways that year because I've been so consumed with walking and going and sharing the gospel of peace all the time. Church is exactly what he does over and over again. As you go with the gospel of peace, he not only sets other people free, but he sets you free at the exact same time. Church, you think about David and Bathsheba, like when was it that David fell into temptation? It's when everyone else was out there fighting the battle, and he was home alone, rejecting the thing that God had called him to do. He was bored, and he was home alone. And for some of us, church, it's exactly where you are today. It's exactly what's going on. Like, you've been, you were being destroyed by the enemy because you refused to engage a battle that you already know that you're in. And so here it is, church. Like, I don't know how we're processing everything that's going on today, but I don't know. It just seems like God has been trying to get our attention for a really long time. I mean, we talked about it about a year ago around this time, but I talked about this image that I feel like God gave me at that time and that just kind of revealed some of the things that he was wanting to do, not only in the life of our church, but really in a, broader, in a broader way, what he wanted to do in the church at large. But it was right around this time last year, you probably remember the large microburst that came through this area, kind of blew out tons of trees. Um, the, there's flooding all over the place. There's this massive destruction. Like, I remember that time, and I was, uh, I, was, I was there in the car with Caleb. We're driving up and down the streets, and we're kind of looking at the destruction that's taking place. And I'm seeing the front yards, like every single house, is just filled with dead, broken, destroyed trees, all left and right. And, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, Lord, what in the world are you doing in the middle of this thing? And I remember asking that for quite a while, and clear as day, what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying was just, just look around and get a picture of what's taking place, because this is exactly what I want to do in the life of the church. I want to uproot a bunch of old, dead, rotten Christianity, cultural Christianity, which has been so normative in this country for a really long time, and I want to plant something new. And I remember coming back in July, it's exactly what we did. We came back to the home after that trip, and, and having this realization, and I come back, and, and I'm looking at one of, the, one of the trees that was in my own yard, and I, and I go over there and I look at it, and I'm not kidding you, this entire tree is completely hollowed out. The inside is fully black. There's nothing else inside. The whole thing has been completely rotted out. 
And I remember just, just hearing what God was saying. This is what I want to do. I want to uproot the old, the dead. The cultural Christianity is what we're talking about right here. That is not real. That is not of me. I want to uproot those things. I want to plant something brand new. I want to do a new thing in the life of my church. And so the next month in July, we go and we, we order a brand new tree for our front yard. And good news, 30 years from now, we're going to have a beautiful tree again. But we come back and we plant that tree. And we had some good news in the Armstrong household. Caleb came to faith the month before. And I started preparing for the Psalm series. And I read him Psalm 1, which, which is, uh, anyway, we go out there to plant this tree. And I remember praying this blessing over him as we were planting new life in this yard. I prayed over Caleb and said, Lord, would he be like this tree? And let him be firmly planted by streams of living water for the rest of his days. And it was this beautiful picture. And church, the reason that I'm sharing this right now is because it just seems like he's doing much the same thing still today. Church, I, I, it seems like a lot of the same things are still going on today. Church, we are absolutely in a war. Make no mistake about it. There's a spiritual battle that is taking place. And there are realities and things that are taking place that you and I are not privy to with our own eyes or with our own understanding. But make no mistake, church, we are absolutely in a war. But what the, evil, what the enemy means for evil with this pandemic, church, take courage because God will redeem. God will redeem. And here it is. The way that he's going to redeem it is by planting something brand new in you and me that may not necessarily be there today. And so what Paul's saying, church, is you and I have to be ready. Because when God is on the move, you better be certain that the enemy is going to be on the move as well. So you and I, we've got to be ready for what God's going to be doing today. We've got to put on the full armor of God every single day. We don't look at it in the closet. We wake up, we see it, we come, and we put on the full armor of God every single day, especially the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness so you and I can be certain and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God has said is true about who we really are. We need to go and we need to be ready with the shoes of the gospel of peace. And we need to keep standing firm together day after day after day as we anticipate and we look for the new that God wants to do. And so church, that's my hope and my prayer for you today, that you wouldn't be shaken by the enemy's attacks today, that you'd be standing firm, that you'd be putting on the full armor of God, and that you would see the enemy defeated in your life. So with that, I'm going to invite you to pray. But Father, we do love you. God, we, uh, we thank you. You don't leave us alone. You don't leave us alone. Lord, you're not deaf when it comes to our cries. You know what's going on. You know the fear that many of us are living with. You know that there's very real sickness. There's very real threats that are out there. But God, we take courage today because we know that you've already overcome. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would reach through this screen right now, that you would fill every man, woman, and child who is listening today with courage and with strength that they will be able to wake up each day to put on the full armor of God, that the enemy would de be defeated in this thing, physically and spiritually, Lord Jesus. Would you push back this pandemic? God, would you flatten the curve? Would you protect, protect the medical heroes that are out there on the front line fighting on our behalf? Would you protect them, Lord Jesus? And would you receive all the praise, all the glory, honor, all the honor that you're due? Father, we look forward to the new thing that you are going to be doing in us. And God, I pray that that would take place that we would repent, God, from the empty religiosity that we've become so comfortable with for so many years. God, I pray that you would begin a brand new work in every single one of us today. Church, wherever you are, I want to invite you, just take a minute where you are. Maybe you want to pray out loud with your family if you've got people there with you. But would you just say, Holy Spirit, would you show me a, gl a glimpse of the new thing that you want to do in me?
Father, I pray that families would be transformed. God, I pray that marriages would be restored. I pray that the faith would be passed on from one generation to the next. God, I pray that people would see that you are a God who intervenes. You're a God who is with us. Lord, you're protecting us on the front end. You're providing for us in the middle. You're healing on the back end, and you're redeeming all things still one day in the future. And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to tell you that we love you. We look to you in the middle of this time. We need you right now. So come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. Church, I sure do love you. I miss you guys a whole lot. I'm going to invite you to stick around. We're going to sing together one more time.